and welcome to the Citizen Church podcast. In this podcast, we are working through our current series, Farmers and Fishermen, which is a series all about fueling our faith. So if you need to catch up, then you can listen to the rest of the series in the previous episodes. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy and we'll get straight into it. everything Bree said. Hello, my name is Henry. I'm an ordinance um, and I, uh, I'm part of the team here at Citizen and I'm training to be a vicar. It is great to be here with you this morning. Now, I want to talk about the, um, I'm going to be talking from the title of the series this morning, which is Paid and Displayed. And first of all, I would like to apologize because this is not a sermon about parking tickets. There is no secret. You've just got to be a better driver. I've never had one. Before, we, before I begin, I would like to ask you something. Have you ever been pulled over by the police? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands today because that would be more... Hey, thanks, Josh. There we go. You and me, mate. (laughs) Um, So I actually have. But the worst part was I wasn't even in a car. I was in a boat. Now, I'm going to get to the point because my parents normally watch the live stream and my mum's probably screaming. Um, I was learning to sail on the Solent. And I may or may not have steered far too close to the HMS Queen Elizabeth, which was the aircraft carrier that was docked in Portsmouth at the time. And it was at that moment that the police, the Royal Marines, everyone and their mum basically pulled us over. And I've I've never been roasted more than that. It was very, very humiliating. But that's not the reason I'm telling you the story. Because when we were learning to sail, we would be moored in a different place each night. And that meant we had to find a place to eat each night. Now, I was training with three other guys, and there were four nights. So that meant there was one for every night. Now, these guys, one thing important to know is they were considerably better off than me financially. Now, when we were deciding where to eat, they said, right, let's not split the bill every time we go somewhere. What we'll do is each night, one person is going to pay for everything, and we'll just take turns going through. So that's, that's all right. So the first night... Uh, We went to this lovely pub. We had a really, really good curry. Uh, The next night, we were in a marina. We just had burgers and a pint. Really lovely. We then found a great place for fish and chips. Um, Again, really lovely for the third time. None of these places broke the bank. Then it was my night. Now, we'd had a really, really long day. The weather had been coming down on us awfully. Um, We were late getting back to the marina. We were absolutely knackered, and we just thought we we, were going to eat in the first place we find. So we wandered into this restaurant. We sat down. We ordered our drinks, and then I opened the menu, and everything was priced by weight, which is automatically the biggest red flag whenever you're trying to save money. It turns out we had walked into a black rock grill. And what that means is that instead of getting a plate when you order your food, you get an immensely hot stone, and then you order your steak, your meats by weight, and you cook on that stone. Now, it's really cool, but it is ludicrously expensive. It is absolutely insane. If, like, to put it into perspective, if you went onto Google, this place would have not two, but three pound signs next to its name. Now, there's no way on earth, I'm going to be able to pay for everything here. And I've lost my appetite by this point, which, if you know me, is a rare thing to happen. And I, I've just, I was like, there's no way I can pay these guys back. There's no way I can pay for the kindness they have shown me. So I left. I, I didn't do a runner. I walked out to try and, like, psych myself up. And I was going to say to these guys, like, I'm, I'm really sorry. Can we just split the bill? I'll pay you back for those other three reasonably priced meals. And I'm just going to pay for my extortionate meal tonight. And I walked back in. And they were all smiling at me. 
And my first thought was, these guys are absolute gits. They know exactly what they've done to me. They've pulled a blinder over my eyes. They, they've got away with something incredible tonight. But the reason they were actually smiling was because when I'd been outside, they'd figured that um, because I don't own a Land Rover dealership like one of them, I wasn't going to be able to pay for everything. And what had happened is they paid for everything, myself included. My appetite, my appetite came back immediately. <laughs> but they insisted that I didn't have to pay them for anything. It was one of the kindest things, and I've never had a better steak in my life. There we go. How many of you know that Jesus has done exactly the same thing for you? He hasn't bought you a steak. I'm sorry. But how many of you know that the value of something is only what someone is willing to pay for it. I want you to know today that Jesus has paid everything for you. Now, to explain that, we're going to all the way back to the Old Testament, to the book of Genesis. I'm reading from the NIV. It'll be up on the screen as well, and it is a long one, so buckle up. Here we go. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Let's pray before we begin. (coughs) Father, we thank you for this morning and we just pray that you will open our hearts, that you will speak to us and that we might know how much you've paid for us today. Amen. Now, I think this, the first half of this passage is truly amazing. The heavens and earth have just been made. All of creation is living in perfect harmony. It is an absolute paradise. 
But more importantly, what it shows us is what it looks like to have a perfect relationship with God. This is a relationship where we truly know our worth. It's part of our being. There is no doubt in our hearts that God completely loves us. We know so clearly how much we are worth to God in this passage that it says we didn't even feel shame. It says Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. Here is humanity at its most vulnerable with everything that we are on display and the concept of shame does not even exist. How can it? Shame cannot exist when we are in a perfect relationship with God. In the Garden of Eden, in this paradise, we know the true extent of how much we're worth. There was an intimacy, there was like a physicality to God's love, to his presence. It said that we actually walked in the garden, that we walked in this paradise that he created to share with us. And did you notice that he brings every animal, every fish and every bird to the man, to humanity, and he asks us to name them? How can we not think we are worthy to God if we're partnering with him in his creation? We knew with absolute certainty how much we were worth to God. But where has that gone today? Like I said at the beginning, I'm training to be a vicar. And on Tuesday, it will be one year to the day when I found out that I was going to be able to start training. And it was a brilliant, brilliant day. But before that had happened, there were about six months of the worst interview process you will ever go through in your life. Like there were interviews, there were assessments, there were were forms, so many forms. And all of this is just to say why I'm called to be a vicar. And the stress was accumulating. It was dreadful. And I then finally got the news that the bishop wanted to meet me and when I tell you I was sweating I was sweating in fact when I was making my way to meet her I actually bought another shirt in a charity shop (laughs) I didn't leave the old one behind I took it with me that no one would have bought that at this point and she sat me down we had a great chat for about half an hour and then she told me yes she was going to send me to train And I was so relieved, but I had to keep my cool. I couldn't lose it then and there. So we had a lovely chat. We, you know, exchanged a bit of banter. That sort of, we didn't, I definitely didn't. I was so, still so nervous being in that room. Um, And then she showed me the door and I walked for maybe 30 seconds and got to the end of her driveway. And to let everything out, I just screamed, yes! But I should have paid more attention because what had happened, and the next thing that I found myself explaining was that, Sorry, the next thing that I found myself doing was apologizing, bending over backwards to two old ladies that had been sat on the bench next to me. And I spent about five minutes explaining that I'm not just some rando who jumps out of bushes and scares old women. I just had some really good news that eventually they realized that I was telling the truth. But, oh, the shouting. There we go. This whole time, I knew that this was something that I was meant to do. I knew that I had a calling from God to do this. But despite that, despite everything I was certain of, deep down, I just knew I wasn't worthy. And this wasn't out of a lack of worth from I haven't tried hard enough or I haven't prepared enough. There was just a sense deep within me that no matter what I did, I would never be worthy enough to be a vicar. I was carrying all the shame of my past mistakes. I was carrying that anxiety of feeling a lack of worth. And it genuinely was one of the darkest times of my life. I just, for about a month, I felt emotionally numb. I felt so alone. I felt so much shame. 
And I don't know why, but it was just that lack of worth. I just knew this wasn't going to be working out for me. And we're constantly searching for a way to improve that sense of worth that we all have, aren't we? And no matter what we do, it always feels like we're missing something. We get to one stage, and then we try and get to the next, we get to the next, but there's always, there's always something more waiting there. We look for it in the wrong things as well, don't we? We look for it in money, in relationships, in social media, anything that will tell us that we have some sort of value. We place so much value in those things then. But if these things are so important, if they actually bring us any sense of worth, then why do we keep searching? Why is that thing never enough? Why can't we ever be fully, fully satisfied knowing how much we are worth? We left the Garden of Eden. We left that perfect relationship we had with God. We lost that sense of worth and it was replaced with shame. We had absolutely everything and in the moment we thought we might be missing out, we looked somewhere else. We turned to the places where God said we shouldn't turn to to find our worth to satisfy us. And in that moment, we knew nothing but shame. It was that same shame that made me feel unworthy. And I think the truth is, everyone here, to some extent, knows what that shame is like in your own circumstance. It could be at your workplace, you might be having imposter syndrome because you don't think, compared to your colleagues, that you're worth it to be there. You don't think you're actually of any value in that workplace. Maybe it's in your relationships. Maybe you think that your friends, your family, your loved ones don't actually place as much value on your life as you think they would or they should. And it could even just be when you're alone. And more than anything, you want someone to tell you how much you mean to them. And it is crushing. We feel that shame because we've forgotten how much we're worth to God. When we turned away from our perfect relationship with God, we were corrupted by sin. And it's that sin that brings us shame. It's sin that made us lose that sense of worthiness. And there was no way for us to restore that off our own backs. In the Old Testament, people would make animal sacrifices to try and prove that they were worth it. They would do it over and over and over, but there was no way to ever end it. There was no way to permanently restore that sense of worth, to eliminate that sense of shame. And that's just like us, isn't it? I mean, I do hope you're not making animal sacrifices in your spare time, but no matter what we pursue in this world, it is never enough. The shame is never gone, and that worth never returns. Our sense of worth was lost in the Garden of Eden, but it is found again on the cross. I'm going to read a passage from the Gospel of John, and it describes the last moment of Jesus' life just before he died. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he would receive the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. A few years ago, before I went to university, I made possibly the biggest mistake of my life. And I'm not going into too much detail. But there was so much shame. Sorry. There was so much shame. And as soon as that happened, I knew that I had to talk to someone about it. And I just, I called up my pastor of my church. <laughs> this didn't happen in the rehearsals. Um, <laughs> I called up my pastor and I said, I'm really sorry. Can we please talk? And he, he thankfully, he was free. 
Um, and as soon as I opened my mouth to talk about what happened, I, I just crumbled. I felt more shame than I've ever felt in my life before. <laughs> so, I crossed the line and I knew that deep down I was not worth it anymore. That there was nothing I could do to restore what I meant to God. That I was completely unlovable but beyond this point. I was a wreck. I was in tears, much like now. Um, and I don't shy away from showing emotion. Anyone who's seen me watch Lord of the Rings, will, I have a similar reaction. I, 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 I kind of get like this. But this was proper ugly crying. And it took me about 30 minutes to explain what was going on. And it, it could have been less time. But it's that sort of crying where you, you, you just can't get the words out. And it, you just get more and more annoyed. And then eventually, you know, you just realize you've been going on so many tangents with the person you're talking to. But I opened my heart to this guy. I said I didn't deserve God's love. I wasn't worth it. I was unforgivable and I was just overwhelmed by shame. His response is pretty much the reason that I'm here today. Um, it's one of the reasons that I'm training to be a vicar and it's the reason I'm embarrassing myself on stage. He said, he said, so what? He said, so what? And it was then that he shared this, um, this passage with me. He highlighted the final words of Jesus. Jesus' last words were not condemnation. He did not list off everything that we'd done wrong or tell us to be ashamed. Thanks. <laughs> His last words were, it is finished. It is finished. In Greek, those words translate as tetelestai or teletestai. I've been arguing with Mark about this. We, we don't know how to pronounce it. And historically, it was a term that was frequently used in contractual documents of the time of the day. And what it meant was it meant paid in full. It meant to bring it to an end, to pay what is due. When Jesus said those words, when he said it is finished, he was declaring that he has paid everything for us. Your life has been fully paid for by Jesus. That's really kind, thank you. <laughs> I'm absolutely going to knock this over at some point. Mm. Oh. This is an irreversible act. Jesus accepted all of our sin. Everything that about us that makes us feel unworthy, he accepted absolutely everything and he paid for it with his own life. I want to make something really, really clear to you. This isn't something that Jesus is going to do for you. This is something that he has already done for you. There is nothing that can take away what Jesus did for you. It's no longer about what we've done. It's no longer about what we can do to try and restore that sense of worth. It's what has happened for us already. It's something that can't be taken back. This isn't even the sad bit. Why am I still... <laughs> So, oh. think on that Jesus gave us his only son Jesus God gave us his only son Jesus and he loved us so much that he was willing to die on our cross to prove how much we were worth to him he literally loved you to death the power of sin the power of death the power of shame on our lives is finished but when Jesus was crucified, he wasn't alone. There were two men next to him, 
one of them started shouting at Jesus, saying, if you really are the Son of God, you will save us. You'll get us down from this cross, and you will save us. But the other man said this, and it's in Luke chapter 23. We are punished justly for everything. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man was a thief and the Romans didn't just use um, crucifixion as a means to execute and torture people as a means of humiliation. This man would have been stripped naked, he would have been tied to the cross, he would have then been elevated in a place where he would have been visible for all to see, for all to mock, for all to jaunt at him. Can you imagine the shame he felt at that moment? His crimes, his body exposed for the entire world to see and to feel the, the lack of worth next to an innocent man who'd been crucified just for trying to save people. To feel so unworthy of love. And in this lowest moment, he turns to Jesus and he says, will you just remember me? Will you just remember me? And what does Jesus say? He says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. We can know our worth because Jesus paid everything for us. He paid with his own life on the cross. And we might still feel shame. We may still feel unworthy. There will be times when it's just inescapable. But Jesus displayed on the cross that we are of infinite worth to him. He was willing to lay down his life for us. Just as shame did not exist in the Garden of Eden, shame cannot hold any power over us when we're in a perfect relationship with God. The death of Jesus is the invitation back into that perfect relationship with him. You can know you are worthy because God has shown you are worthy. He has displayed it on the cross. He has borne his body for us and given everything so that we might have that relationship with him once again. He's paid everything for you. And all he asks, all he asks, is just for you to know that, to believe that, to understand that he doesn't want us to place our sense of worth in what the world offers us, but in what he's done for us. If you're honest with yourself, are you living a life where you know God's worth, where you know the worth God puts on your life? Are you still carrying that shame are you carrying it? You don't carry a debt that's been paid. To use the parking ticket analogy, you don't carry a parking ticket that's already been paid. It is finished. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't already know, then you can join us live on Sundays. We go live on YouTube at 11.30am or you can join us in person at our 11am and 6pm services at our Cate's campus in Cardiff. We hope to see you there soon. Otherwise, I hope you have an incredible week and we'll see you soon.